back with episode 864 of The Critical Myth. I am John, your host, and tonight we have... Oh, it looks like it's just me, Gary from Jacksonville. How's everyone doing? That's right. We actually managed to thread the needle and get a night where we could actually record another episode of the show. And uh, yeah, I think that just as a general programming note, it should be you could just acknowledge that. Yeah, um, our schedule has slowed down quite a bit. Uh, part of that is that we have um, gotten into the summer, which means that the amount of material that is actually week to week has dwindled a bit. Um, so as we had mentioned before, we're catching up on things in binge watching mode, which means that yeah, we get to it when we get to it. So um, sometimes we just don't have a whole lot to um, to catch up on. Otherwise, also, it's summer, which means that we are um, often on the road, uh, whether it's for work or for uh, pleasure. Either way, we are usually not uh, all in the same place at the same time. Um, so we are kind of recording episodes as we get the opportunity to do so. Uh, we certainly don't want to just force things and have episodes that are about kind of nothing. So, um, yeah, we want to make sure that we do accumulate a bit of material before we actually have an episode. So I understand it's a sporadic schedule, but, um, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to keep on trucking as we go along here. And uh, things uh, become available, both in terms of our scheduling and material to talk about. So, yeah, that having been said... Um, Gary, why don't you give a general disclaimer? Because we're going to talk about some shows, we're going to talk about some movies, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. Yes, there are, actually are still a few uh, shows that are running right now. Not many, unfortunately. Uh, far cry from our, uh, I think, our record of 43 shows at one time. <laughs> but, um, yes, um, so anyway, um, as we discuss different television shows, movies, and other uh, intellectual properties, uh, at times we will be bluntly honest with our opinions of them and how we feel, felt they developed. And if we mention that someone lives, dies, gets married, or has children, um, we're not apologizing for it. We're just letting you know that to not discuss it would be doing both us and you a disservice, and we're going to talk about anything we feel is important. So if you hear a topic coming up and you haven't seen it, pause us for a little bit, come on back and listen and see if you agree with us or not. That's right. And so we're going to go ahead and start with what I think most of us consider to be kind of the last big movie for the for the summer. I think that there are certainly some blockbusters that are still to come, but they're more of a uh, of a specific audience, I guess. Uh, for for us, the big movie that was still pending um, after all of the big titles that came out earlier this year was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes, the uh, latest of the MCU movies and the first to come after the uh, Infinity War. Uh, well, well guess yeah. what? This yeah. movie actually takes place before that. Yes. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> yes. So Gary, always yeah. worth staying till the end. Yes. That's right. Always stay <laughs> until the end. At least most did. So. I had to tell the per- person next to me, what are you doing? Huh? I said, it's not over yet. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like they forgot about it. anyway, but yeah. So. <laughs> okay. So Gary, your thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wow. Um, I was really impressed. You know, often uh, sequels, which this I think technically is, um, is, are not usually better than the original. There's a handful of exceptions, Empire, uh, Rathacon. But in general, they usually are lackluster. And um, I think I did make the same complaint about uh, Deadpool that I just lost something the second time. Maybe I was used to the humor. Maybe it was just a little blander. I'm not sure. But um, this one, on the other hand, was amazing. Uh, it really uh, it hit uh, all the marks for me. Um, uh, Michael Douglas, uh, Paul Rudd, and um, oh gosh, who played Wasp? Evangeline Jill. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I block her up. Um, <clears throat> um, yes, we're all exceptionally good. Uh, very um, in character, relaxed. I had no problem suspending any disbelief that they were who they said they were. It was uh, very enjoyable, uh, very comedic without being slapstick. Um, 
the whole plot actually I felt made a lot of sense. They uh, gave uh, to me I got to have to give them a lot of kudos for all the um, comic background that they inserted that non-comic book people might not be aware of or they only touched a glance on such as um, the uh, Goliath or Black Goliath as he was one time one time known also the ghost who actually is an Iron Man villain that they they brought over here but um, I'm fine with that because um, really the uh, original the creator of this version of Ant-Man um, of Scott Lang was um, Bob Layton and David Michelin, and those were the creators of the ghost character as well. So I thought it worked out well uh, that, you know, that two characters in a sense created by the same, the character and the uh, villain were both the same. I thought that was nice. And um, also, yeah, also, um, hey, wait a minute. Who's under that ghost mask? <laughs> it's Dutch. <laughs> that was a uh, Dutch from yeah, Killjoys, which is coming back in about a week. But anyway, go <laughs> Oh, is it? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's coming back the 20th of July. I knew it was coming back. I didn't realize it was this soon. Oh, yeah. And uh, But, yeah, so um, she uh, – that was a surprise. Somehow I had overlooked her casting in this in this movie, and um, I thought she did an excellent job as well. Um, they played a much – a little bit uh, faster and looser with some of the uh, shrinking. Um, it wasn't just people. It was a lot more of um, of – things cars buildings uh salt chairs um but yeah so they um they did a great job with handling that it, it made a lot of sense to me um i liked the uh romantic liaison that they uh put forward between um hank and hope no hank i'm uh, sorry um scott and hope um I, I thought that worked very well and you could really sort of sense the relationship uh that was going on i enjoyed the uh comic premise of him having been in um house arrest for almost two years and um how well adjusted uh both he his wife his child and his wife's new husband were, were all getting along and everything like that it was a you know it was a very uh, very positive movie overall and um it, at least till the movie ended for the first ending everything worked out very well and uh, I'll, I'll save the uh the endings for a little bit further in our discussion but um so um am i off kilter um, how am i doing john did you, did you like it too i liked it Okay, I liked it, but I can't say that I loved it. Yeah. What 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 would have made you love it? What or what was it missing, or what do you wish it had more of? Um, basically, my my main complaint is that unlike a lot of the movies recently for the MCU, I felt like they put most of the big kind of uh, moments, I guess you could say, especially with the like uh, the shrinking or the growing, uh, into the trailers. And so a lot of those moments that might have been more inventive or maybe would have felt more inventive had they been left to the film, um, I think you went in knowing about them. And so uh, I was surprised by the sheer amount of scenes in the trailers that came from the third act. Um, If you think back to, say, Infinity War, almost nothing from the third act that was major or like... uh, maybe like one or two scenes, but they were out of context and you really didn't get a sense of what they meant here. It was pretty obvious what they kind of meant. So uh, to me, it kind of, it kind of took a little bit away from that um, to have seen so much of the film already. It felt like we kind of knew what the plot was going to be. We kind of yeah, knew well, it was going to go. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, I, I see what you're saying. It was uh, definitely uh, somewhat predictable. Maybe the, uh, the villain swap at the end scene, the villain motivation uh, came a little bit out of left field. But other than that, yeah, I, I know what you mean. You went in there, you know, being tra- chased by the law, trying to solve a crime, and they solve the crime, and everyone's happy. So yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a way out there premise. I, under- I I can't disagree with you there. Yeah, that said, I mean, it was enjoyable. There's certainly nothing to be said, you know, against the 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 sense of humor. I think that's maintained <coughs> throughout. 
and it was in pretty much in keeping with what we had seen in the first movie. I think that they did some nice callbacks to the first movie. Um, I think it made a lot of sense why he wasn't involved in Infinity War. Um, I like the way that things tied in, and also how the the um, there are hints in the movie that this could tie into Avengers Four. So I think that there's a greater sense of how this could over- intersect and overlap with the bigger picture. Um, that said, like there were some moments that I also felt were a little bit glossed over. For instance, what was the deal with um, Janet and just kind of like touching Ghost on the face and that being enough to kind of just have an effect? It seemed like they want to imply that some of the magic from, say, Doctor Strange type of material is linked here. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. They her um, miracle powers from being in the different dimension for a while uh, seemed unexplained. I, almost if we had maybe a scene of her displaying them to rescue uh, Janet and 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 Hank while they were in that subatomic universe might have gone more to give you a feeling for that whole power. But to just have a pop up at the end like that, uh, other than the comment, I feel different. Um, yeah, I agree. Was a little uh, sort of like not showing us the gun in Act One. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it it's little things like that. I think it's maybe actually the first movie kind of made it difficult for the second movie in some regards because everyone went into the first Ant-Man underestimating it. Yes. They all felt like it was going to maybe be the first time that the, the MCU really flopped. Um, it went completely the other direction. People loved Ant-Man. They thought that it was hilarious. I think that they really pushed the boundaries here again to try and replicate that. And I feel like almost in a way, I know you kind of said that for you, Deadpool 2 was a little bit of a letdown and this was not. I actually felt kind of similar um, in this case between um, mm. Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp. I felt like it was a good continuation I thought that it was a solid movie, but I felt like it was a little bit lesser than the first one because there was that kind of like expectation that this one would exceed. And I think that it met, but it didn't exceed. Um, the, I guess the other side of it too, a little bit was that there were some moments that I felt were great visual gags and great ideas, but then they didn't quite make sense overall. For instance, you've got a building filled with a lab, filled with delicate (coughs) equipment, and that building is getting thrown around and knocked around, and yet everything works perfectly fine. Meanwhile, you sneeze and your laptop is in the other room, and it may not work for a a year and a half. So, it's like, it's, that was like one of those little things where, yes, I know, you have to kind of just go with it, because it's, it's how the movie works, and it's being told from a more comedic point of view, but it still was kind of straining a little bit of the credibility on my end. Granted, Ant-Man had a lot of those little moments, too. Um, but it just felt like, yeah, this was a little bit predictable. You kind of knew what you were getting into when you went and watched it. Within, like, about ten minutes, you knew what the plot was going to be. And it just kind of played out that way. And I don't I don't think that it, that means that it was a bad movie by any means. I just don't think that it was quite the same for me as the original Ant-Man. Fair enough. Also, I felt they, they shifted a little bit more of uh, Paul Rudd's humor onto his sidekick. Mm-hmm. It yeah. felt, you know, we got a lot more humor out of uh, out of his uh, business partner than than he, we got from him. I guess you know the situation was serious to some extent, so but it felt like they shifted, they made him much more comic relief than he was in the first movie. Yeah, um, and actually, uh, do you re- like ahead. the um, the callback that they did, however, to the um, 
his little like storytelling method. I yes. thought was pretty. I thought that was a nice callback, and the fact that they only did it once actually made it better. If they tried to do it two or three times in this movie, it would not have worked as well. Yeah. Oh no, it fit in. It fit in very, you know, perfectly into the into the piece. I also liked Michael Douglas a lot better in this one. Maybe he had more time, or I'm not sure, but he, I, I enjoyed uh, his role in this movie a lot better. It seemed like, uh, I don't know. I guess he had a purpose as the other ones. I didn't feel like he did. So. Yeah, I, I I think that he actually did a really nice job this time, and. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays into the larger role. As we as we must tell the audience, watch. I would say watch to the mid credit scene. I don't know that you need to wait until the final end credit scene. Mm. That was another minor, I mean very minor disappointment, but we've gotten so used to monumental or, or, or well, I can't say that. There's been some other movies that have been like head scratchers when it comes to the very, very end of the movie credits. This one felt extraneous because I'm just going to say it. The scene that's at the end of the credits we've seen in the trailers. <laughs> There's literally nothing that you don't see there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, like you said, they did grab a, a lot for the trailers, but I think they were really trying to uh, hook people. So they grabbed, you know, the best thing they, um, the best, I guess they felt, you know, always try to make a good trailer to get people in. So that's what they did. Plus, they, I, I wonder if uh, there was any last-minute juggling uh, because of Solo. Mm-hmm. That they felt that they had to, you know, advertise this a little harder or heavier to... Um... I, I do feel like you that might be part of it. On the other hand, I also feel like Black Panther and Infinity War were so overwhelming at the box office that they felt like they had to give this movie as much of an edge as they could possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that it did really well. I don't know if it's actually... It might have already beaten Solo, um, which is no. really kind of sad. I'm actually going to check that while we do this. But what are your other thoughts for this? I mean, um, for instance, what did you think of Wasp? Do you feel like uh, she was pretty well represented here? I mean, we were all we all came out of Ant-Man feeling like, oh, we can't wait to see how they, how they do Wasp in the second movie. Yeah, no, uh, Lily came across very well for me. Um, her character, at least in the first movie, as I remember, she was so angry all the time that uh, I was worried that we, that was pretty much going to be her personality for the next movie. Just, you know, sort of angry, upset all the time. Maybe not at Scott, but just in general, you know, sort of uh, um, not a happy person. And, uh, you know, gruff maybe might be a good word to put it. And um, thankfully she wasn't. I mean, she was a very well-balanced. She got angry at times and, and laughed at times and was... Um, romantic at times so i felt they she presented a very balanced character even you know through the various pitfalls of not being able to catch her get her mother back and actually getting her back and we saw that reunion and um yeah no i thought um but uh lily did a great job um, i was uh, very impressed mm. yes exactly and as of right now from what i can see solo after i don't remember how many weeks it's been out is at a worldwide uh total of 380 uh, million. So 380. Ooh, ouch. 380. And after um, basically a little over a weekend, Ant Man and the Wasp is at 184. So roughly half. <laughs> so that's at one week. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I mean, Ant Man's not going to be a major player in the overall. Um, you know, cinematic universe, we know that. Um, all it needs to do to beat the first one is um, pretty much double what it's got now. So, it'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I would. I would think so. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, Solo is a very specific uh, challenge for for uh, Disney at this point. Um, yeah, and well, we know what happened there. I guess uh, we won't be seeing too many of the uh, spinoff films that aren't part of a major trilogy for a little while, as they kind of retool thing. I still wanted that Obi Wan movie. Anyway, uh, with with a. Uh, um, Ian McGregor, but anyway, I, don't I know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Know. But um, anyway, but um, oh, so well, we we gave spoilers, so let's talk about the uh, end credit scene. Um, the, well, the mid credit scene, I guess, might yeah, probably yeah. be better. Um, they're going back to get more of that energy that um, Janet was able to impart. I guess she used up all her energy. I would assume that because they need to go back and get more. Yep. And um, so they go back to get more. He's like, oh, I'll be down there for a few minutes. Just get the get the energy, get back out again. Then, so he gathers the energy and starts calling on his uh, radio to have them, uh, I guess, unshrink him? Even though, I guess they use special shrinking when you go down that small. So, um, and nobody answers. And they come back, and then all you see are particles of dust. And I wonder if people have not seen it, um, Infinity War. If maybe they might not even know what the heck that was supposed to be. Yeah, I guess they, if they missed Infinity War, that would have been an extremely confusing mid credit scene. Um I mean, I was saying, I was like, oh, that's nice. I hope everybody's going out and seeing every single movie, because if you're not, then, geez, you're probably scratching your head right now thinking, what's going on? Dandruff? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they had some, like, really bad, bad skin conditions. Um, th- not to mention they had all three of them. Uh, <laughs> the, the th- all three of them went away. I was a little yep. surprised with the, with all three of the number. I'm, I'm not surprised, because otherwise it would have kind of eliminated the possibility of him being stuck. So now he is stuck. And that's why I feel like this is going to play into the solution to the the little Infinity War Thanos problem in some way, shape, or form. Because remember when Janet mentioned time? Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, um, Scott's actually going to wind up, when he does get out of this little um, problem that he's in, he's going to end up somewhere in the past. Um, It could even intersect in some way with Captain Marvel which we know that film takes place in the 90s. So I have a feeling that, they're, that they actually are... That this movie, despite the fact that I said that it was a fairly predictable plot, is actually a bridge to how they're going to incorporate Ant-Man and Captain Marvel and a few others into um, Avengers 4. And I still predict that Avengers 4 is going to largely f- focus, because they are the ones who survived, on the original Avengers from the first film. Well, you know, I'd like to point out a fact that often gets uh, mis- never gets represented and was chosen not to happen. Uh, the first Wasp was a founding member of the Avengers and gets no credit. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so, uh, yeah, especially in the MCU. Yeah. And they've retconned so much in the Marvel Comics universe at this point that I don't even know if it's recognizable to those of us who have been around for <laughs> lots of years. A while, yes. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I was like, yeah, somebody pointed that out. You're like, you know, she was an original. <laughs> Oh, that's she a good... led the Avengers. <laughs> yes, point. yes, yes, for, for a good year, year and a half at least that I can remember reading. And um, but yeah, so are you thinking that he's gonna it's gonna come back in Avengers four? He's gonna be saved, or do we have to wait for another Ant Man movie? No, I I think he's gonna actually show up in um, Avengers Captain four. Marvel. He <laughs> might even somehow end up in the in a mid or end credit scene for Captain Marvel. Hmm that would kind of tie it all together, especially for those who are doing like a marathon to lead into Avengers four, which yeah. 
you'd literally have to like take an entire week off and maybe get a catheter. But it's possible to do. You say uh, that like it's a bad thing, but you'd be able to watch the movie uninterrupted. That's, that's true. You would if you did that. You're right. Uh, so that's Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, what would you give it, like, if you were to grade it? Uh, let's see, using R scales, um, I'd probably put it somewhere around, um, I'll say an 8.5. Okay, I would probably give it around, uh, I think I said that it was a solid, like, uh, somewhere around a 7.5 to an 8. Okay. So not that much lower. So, yeah. We're oh, no, I mean, it, it's well well worth the time to watch. It's not a oh, movie yeah, that you're going to say, a- oh, yeah, if I gave it a six or a, or a six point five, then I could understand people be like wondering if they should even bother. But no, this is a solid entry. It's just uh, maybe it's just a little predictable for me. All right, so that means that we can turn our attention to TV. And as we said, there's like a, a few shows that are on right now, but it's a matter of like who's watching them and who's caught up. So, for instance, I know Edmund would like to speak largely about the end of Westworld, season two, and then the Expanse season three. Um, especially considering some of the, how the storytelling kind of accelerated for The Expanse, and then also um, A Handmaid's Tale. So we'll probably hold off on those until Edmund can return, uh, maybe in, a, in a, an episode or two. Okay. But, um, are you caught up on The Expanse, Gary? No, I'm not. I'm about three episodes behind. Ah, ah yes, good. You, you still have a bit to go. Very good. Uh, <laughs> Miller says he's happy to hear that, just in case you were wondering. Oh, I was worried. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we have, however, been watching some other things. And, uh, Gary, from what I understand, you have been continuing your Fringe rewatch. Oh, sweet heavens. It's such a joy to, to watch it. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I've, I'm reached the point where I start, was watching it, um, I guess, with, when it was originally on the air at this point. Um, I caught it, started just in season five and knew absolutely nothing. And uh, you guys would give me teases of information. Uh, sometimes you would you would tell me, but it ha- I had no context. So in a lot of ways, even though I saw this season, I feel like I'm watching it with a set of fresh eyes because now I know everything that's go you know that's going on when they um, invade the, one of the observers' places and they're they're pulling out the amber, they're pulling out the skin over the face, they're pulling out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, now I now I understand what all this stuff is, and. Um, also, um, I understand Peter a lot better. Um, as I started, uh, I think late season four into season five, Peter was not a large presence. And so now I have a much better, um, understanding of him and his place and how we, in a lot of ways he rehabilitated Walter and, uh, also Olivia in some ways. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's nice to have, you know, sort of actually have all this background as I'm going forward because, you know, for a show that to me started off in season one being, um, disaster of the week, um, it, it, it's morphed and changed into a, an incredibly different show. You know, now if, you know, that with the season five, they changed the whole opening thing to reflect the, uh, the current issues with the, uh, observers. So it's, you know, as if this show already had the main show, then we had the alternate universe show too. We had the 1985 show three. Now we end up with actually a whole fourth show of this whole sort of encampment prison breakout overthrow the, the evil rulers. So, um, yeah, gosh, you know, which show do you like more? <laughs> it's, it's almost hard to pick between them. But, um, yeah, the season has been really good. I'm about half, almost halfway through the fifth season, which sadly is an abbreviated season. I forgot that it was only, uh, I think, 13 episodes and not 22. Yeah. And uh, so, um, so I, I'm, in the, I'm on episode six right now, so I'm sure I will finish it before our next show. And um, it's, um, it's really nice and uh, a lot of fun and enjoyable. The um, 
I do sort of question one thing that I almost feel got glossed over. And maybe you can explain this to me since you're a knowledgeable, if I could pick your detailed oh, brain for a minute. Oh, jeez. You're going to ask me to remember. Okay. Let's see if I can recall. Of course you Okay. You remember Peter disappeared from the timeline? Uh, vaguely. Okay, well, he like he went into the big machine thing, and then he then he wasn't around anymore. Then Olivia right. started to see glimpses of him, and finally he actually materialized. She didn't remember him at first, but then she sort of started getting back her memory of the alternate timeline. Okay, right. But but no one else in the world did. Walter didn't. Astrid didn't. Broyles didn't. But everybody seems to like know the guy. I'm like, huh. I think they uh, glanced over that script wise a little bit, unless I missed something that said, oh, everybody, yeah, everybody remembered him after a while. Honestly, I don't remember. Um, it's been unfortunately too long, and too many other things have kind of come through. That no problem. My brain, but fair, uh, fair enough. Uh, who knows? Maybe will. that will actually show up as a uh, as a plot point. You never know. That's true. But uh, yeah. So uh, other than that one little glaring thing, uh, it's been a, a joy. Uh, we got to meet their. Uh, we got to meet um, Peter and Olivia's uh, girl Henrietta and watch her die. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, and um, so it's um, you know, it's been a, it's been quite a fun ride. Um, I, I'm, you, you, both you and Edmund were absolutely right that um, I should have been watching it all along, and uh, I will take umbrage at this point because uh, you were right. So um, I will, uh, so um, I'll finish this next one, and then I have to debate what my next, uh, my next binge-worthy thing was. I'm tempted to try Person of Interest. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'll try. That's what did it go five seasons. Five seasons. Yep. Okay. So. It's not too bad. I might. I'll, I'll, I think that might be my next one. I, you guys raved about that series as well, and uh, I was always. Uh, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but envious over your reactions to it. So um, I'll have to. Uh, perhaps that'll be my next binge. I'll let you know. Yeah, and similar to Fringe, that show was one that started off more episodic and then became, especially towards the end, a lot more serialized. So hmm. yeah, it's worth uh, definitely worth picking up. Um, speaking of rewatches, um, before we get into a couple other things, yeah. um, well, our, 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 our household Babylon five rewatch is now sleeping in light. Oh geez. How many boxes? No. <laughs> um, about half of one. Um, we, we actually finished last night. Um, and, uh, even before we got to the final episode, there were, there were some feels before we, as we were watching the penultimate episode. So what? certainly the, uh, the finale was just one long. <laughs> now, did you watch the finale? <laughs> My fellow now, did- watcher is in the room. Oh, cool. Um, now, did you watch like a few, like the last two or three episodes together, or just Sleeping in Light by itself? We watched um, from um, uh, what's the one after? Uh, basically, um, Wheel of Fire. Okay. Through to the um, to the end. Oh gosh, that that that's quite a um, quite, yep. that's quite a hard run. So. Uh, yeah. Kudos to you and B for uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> surviving. Yeah, there, there, yeah. I had I had considered it, and um, since we had stopped previously on Fall of Centauri Prime, um, and I remembered what the material was like from there, and that it was kind of like a long string of farewells. Um, it just seemed thematically the best way to go about it. Although I could e- have easily kind of paused between the next to last episode and Sleeping in Light, and, and yeah, but. Um, now I, I typically do because yeah because sort of building up to it and then you know get ready for it to hit but um I've heard, heard a few friends lately say oh no you just need to just ride the rapids and just go all the way I was like I, I do feel as though because this is the first time I actually did it that way because usually I do it what you were saying I usually kind of reserve the final hour for its own moment and kind of 
you know, let's let's face it, we're we're huge Babylon Five fans, so reverence for the final hour. Yes. Um, but it felt right to do it that way, um, and I do agree that because uh, Joe Straczynski had such an opportunity to feed the final episodes into what he already knew was the material of Sleeping in Light, that there were so many little callbacks, and actually, like one of the things that I enjoyed. I say enjoyed in air quotes um, because we all know it's it's an emotional roller coaster. But the the fact that I knew that some musical cues were seeded into the final episodes, but I was surprised at how much of the incidental music in the background oh, yeah. was actually um, kind of uh, planting the seeds for the score for the finale. Which I still feel like that is one of the most like emotional soundtracks for a series finale uh, that I've ever heard. So um, it's, it's, it definitely doesn't lose its impact. I think this has to be the fifth or sixth time I've seen, you know, gone through a rewatch and um, it still packs a huge punch Uh, from the moment that it starts and the, the kind of anguish that, you know, Delenn is feeling. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen the 20 year plus old show, but anyway, um, just the, the acting is superb and then the the final monologue that is given at the end is still just is a gut punch um it yeah it was it was actually a um as much of it as it was a difficult night it always is such a feeling of completion and a, a tale well told and as always you like i swear everybody feels this way that you get to the end you 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 hit you know stop you, you and then you think to yourself, I can't wait to start again. Because <laughs> it's like you want to go back. You always want to go back and restart. Um, now, um, h- how are you handling the movies? Um, we're pausing for right now. Okay. But we will kind of go back to those. Um, kind of make a conscious I, choice yeah. not to watch them during the run. I usually prefer to, too, although some people say it was that they fit well right at the end of four for the most part. Although I like to save... Um, in the beginning for the for the you know for after sleeping in light i feel it's really a uh, what's the word like a gift for the fans to get that little pre you know precursor of a story and there's so many references and innuendos in that in in the beginning that if you've seen the series you get them you get all this get a lot more of it i feel yeah i think that that's true i think that you know you can pretty much just watch third space and river of souls whenever you feel like it later down the road, it is really just kind of like their little grace notes, if you will. Um, you know, third space is, you know, your Lovecraftian homage. And then river of souls is kind of frankly there. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to go on to crusade, then, you know, watching called arms with crusade makes sense. Um, I can definitely understand people who basically say, watch the series, throw in the beginning into the space between season four and five, because that's when it originally aired. Find a place for third space somewhere in season four, although it literally falls in between scenes of one episode. Um, And then watch um, River of Souls called Arms Crusade between like the penultimate episode and Sleeping in Light, because it does kind of like... Sleeping in Light does answer the question of... You know, because you know that um, there is that cameo, in, or not cameo, but that guest appearance in the final episode of the original run of, or the original run order of Crusade. 
And the question of what his fate is is immediately answered in Sleeping Light. So it kind of makes a certain amount of sense. I don't know where you would throw Legend of the Rangers at this point. I guess you'd, you'd have to fit it somewhere in between River Free Sleeping Light, yeah. Yeah, it's somewhere in there. I can't remember. I think it's three years after um, Objects at Rest. But... Um, yeah, we're getting into a little bit of uh, inside baseball right now, but <laughs> when it comes to Babylon 5, but I mean, uh, for me, it's like the first time through, which again, clearly not my first time through, but for B, certainly, um, I think it makes sense to just do the main line and then do the uh, ancillary materials afterward. Like Lost Tales is in there somewhere and everything else. Like it, it, it does fit in the timeline somewhere, but doesn't need to be seen before you see Sleeping in Light. I think it makes perfect sense to go from Objects at Rest to Sleeping in Light the first time through. Well, I'd still say you should still see in the beginning. Oh, no, no. You're doing her a disservice if you don't. Oh, no, no, no. You should just watch that quickly. Yeah, that'll probably be the next thing in line. But uh, we literally finished yesterday. Fair enough. The tears are are still drying. That's it, yes. uh, (laughs) We're still getting over the Sunday drive. So... You haven't even got, gotten her to the books yet, have you? <laughs> nope, not oh, yet. Okay. All right. No, she has yet to dream in the City of Sorrows. I'm scared. <laughs> wait, wait till you get to the Centauri trilogy and I say, know. why weren't these episodes? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so there's other shows that we're watching as we yes. kind of go along. Um, I'll just mention very quickly um, that I am, I, I do have all of the 12 Monkeys. It is the final season. Um, it has already aired the entire fourth and final season. However, the podcast that I listen to, which is 12 Mon- Monkeys Uncaged, is uh, specifically um, releasing an episodic discussion week by week in order to give fans the opportunity to really kind of dig into and enjoy and savor these last uh, episodes. So I'm going on that schedule. So I'm only about four episodes in. It's a great season so far. There's been lots of revelations and lots of little goodies. And um, definitely I have to say that so far I'm pretty happy with the way that that intricate tale is wrapping up. Um, That's a show that actually I would recommend to anyone who loves um, very complicated but well-thought-out time travel shows. Um, It's basically Doctor Who going very, very wrong. Um, (laughs) Also, um, Gary, you've been watching another show. Yes, I um, went through and I've uh, watched all of this new Lost in Space series from Netflix. Um, I know, John, you haven't seen it. Even though we gave spoilers, I'll try and uh, hold back a little bit just so because I don't want you spoiled either. But but however, what I will say is after the Lost in Space movie that was out, I was uh, I had lost any any uh, desire to see this show um, not to avoid it crazily, but I had no interest to put it on fearing much of the same. Um, finally, my children actually t- talked me into uh, turning it on and watching it. And um, I was uh, very impressed in a lot of ways. I felt they had took the same sensibilities that they remade uh, Battlestar Galactica with and applied a lot of the um, lessons to, uh, to this recast. There's hints and flavors of the original, but by no means is it a campy reproduction a la, uh, like a galaxy quest. And it's not so over darkening, darkeningly serious that you're, uh, that you're bored, depressed, or want to kill somebody over it. Um, they 
struck a great mix between I think uh, what modern modern uh, viewers want to see. It still you know does does have the the core of the family. They still are on a Jupiter two spacecraft. Um, there's still a Doctor Smith, although they did do a uh, uh, gender swap on that character and still did, carried it out very well. I felt the motivations of the character in this in this series far out uh, far were better explained than the uh, motivations of uh, Doctor Smith in the original series. Um, the robot was um, also a big paradigm shift, but at the same time, it uh, still f- gave you a sense of the of the old um, show. So if you liked that, that, for example, the interactions between Will and the robot, you still had a, had a lot of that flavor in this one. So um, I have to say I enjoyed it immensely. Um, I, they did leave it open at the end to go further, and I hope they do. Um, I'd be glad to discuss this uh, maybe our next show, John, if you have a chance to catch up to go into a little bit more detail. But, um, yeah, it was just very well done. It had much more of a uh, science edge to it. And um, there was uh, – I felt the they balanced out the cast a lot better than, the, than they were ever balanced out in the 60s. Um, everybody had it very distinct personalities, uh, definite strengths and weaknesses, and we got a chance to see them all exhibited. The, um, the father's relation with the family was um, a, lo- a big stretch from the source material, but at the same time, it ended up coming together very well where I felt it was on extremely shaky ground. At one point, I was even wondering why he's there with them. But um, as I reached, as I got to the end, um, I thought everything worked, worked out very well. And um, we'll have to see if we get a second one. I don't know how uh, Netflix judges viewing viewing or not, or at least they don't provide us with those numbers to have a sense. But um, I enjoyed it a lot, and I hope other people do too. Um, it's it's uh, ten episodes, so it's not a crazy full season twenty plus uh, investment. Um, the movie the episodes go by fast. Um, there's a you know a fair amount of action with it, and um, I, it definitely leans more towards uh, I'd call it almost it leans much more towards a hard science fiction. I won't say it makes camp there, but it certainly goes by more than often enough. If you like that um, a little harder science fiction, I think you'll like this a lot more. Yeah, I think that that's actually going to be um, maybe next on our list since it's only ten episodes right now to kind of get into and. Um definitely uh, coming on the heels of uh, Babylon 5, it probably wouldn't be bad to just jump into something else that's a little more science fiction oriented. Yeah. Um, also along the, the lines, um, I know that you have yet to see the second season of Jessica Jones. Yeah. Um, I'm about, uh, I think I'm 10 episodes in, so I'm pretty close to the end of that. Um, it has been a little bit slow going. And part of that is that I feel like the first season was incredibly strong when you had the the kind of um, nemesis that the Purple Man represented. Um, David Tennant was a really good villain. Oh, he is such a good villain. Oh, yes. gosh. <laughs> he really, in many ways, made that, that first season work. I don't feel like there is a, a similarly compelling villain in season two. And quite frankly, I don't know how they would have pulled it off. Um they did such a great job out knocking it out of the park with that character that how do you follow that up? Um, they definitely struggled with it. Um, instead, what I really feel like is that this is kind of like the season of Jessica and her friends trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so if you're cool with the idea of just kind of watching these, these characters kind of figure themselves out um, and deal with a few of the implications of the first season in terms of Jessica, her abilities, where they came from, and so forth, then this is a good season for you. If the idea of uh, something lesser than the Purple Man um, storyline is kind of a problematic one, or or kind of I don't know how well it would come across. I'm finding it's hard sometimes to just 
keep track of what's going on episode by episode because it's just kind of all blending together. Um, which these binge-watching shows like on Netflix that come out thir 10, 13 episodes at a time, some shows are like that. They all just feel like they're an ongoing film. Um, so Jessica Jones Season 2 feels like that to me. Um, I can't say it's bad, but I don't feel like it's quite as good as the first season. Uh, also, what we've been watching, because I didn't know that this was actually out, or, be or spooling out week by week here in the U.S. on Funimation, is the second season of the Star Blazers remake. Um, this one being Star Blazers 2202, subtitled Warriors of Love, which was actually... It, but wait, that was actually the subtitle of the original second season um, in Japan back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um, it's, um, it's interesting because while the first season, which was following the whole, you know, Gamelons yes. and so forth and Iskandar and all of that, it, I remembered a lot of the story beats. So for me, that was easy to see the similarities and the differences. This second season, which is all about the Comet Empire and Atlantis and all of that, I don't remember nearly as well. So I can't speak to whether or not it's a solid adaptation. What I can say is that I feel like the story is a little more muddled. And I'm about a third of the way into the second season, and it's only now that the kind of the story is actually starting to move. Um and that's currently where the episodes are at, is about uh, a third of the way into the second season. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. I'm enjoying it, but I don't feel like it's quite as solid as the first season was for me. So kind of, a, uh, oddly enough, a similar thing as with Jessica Jones. Um, I am, however, looking forward to the return of Attack on Titan, which the third season, which will be 24 episodes, much like the first, starts here in the U.S., I believe, in late July. So, looking forward to that one, because, yeah, they're gonna, there's a lot of story for them to kind of uh, blaze through, slice through. Take your pick. One of those applies. So, yes, um, let's see here. Uh, that's what I have as far as television. Oh, I, there, I am also watching, because I'm sure that some people are curious. Um, I am watching Cloak and Dagger. And... One thing that surprises me is that as an adaptation that is running on the Freeform network, I'm surprised at how um, gritty they've managed to make it. Um, it's very much in keeping with the darker overtones of their origin story in the comics. But I think that they modernize it somewhat by making it current day, of course. And some of the issues that they are dealing with are current day. But I also feel like it is doing a nice job of not overplaying the grittiness or the darkness. Um, there are some shows that get so dark and so ridiculously so that it, it's almost hard to um, take them seriously. This one, I feel like, just does a really good job of presenting two teenagers that are in a very different situation um, while they're already under an enormous amount of stress for the reasons of family and everything else. So I think that this is a really good adaptation. It's not a point-for-point -point adaptation, of course, but I think it actually works better that way. Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that it's... Um, I know that we now, all enjoy it. Now, wait, is it... Uh, is it dubbed? Is it subtitled? Cloak and Dagger? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was still thinking about Star Blazers that I wanted to watch. Oh, Star Blazers is actually... Um, all of that is dubbed okay. on Funimation. So, um, if yeah, if you go to Funimation and watch it there, it's dubbed. If you go to um, Crunchyroll, it would be subtitled. But, yeah. 
Um, let's see. Just, That's just taking those shots. Oh, no problem. <laughs> uh, it's certainly um, it's it's fun to see Star Blazers updated in modern effects. Uh, sometimes it's a little distracting because it's obviously uh, computer generated, but there are some moments that it's just really cool to see something that clear and sharp and crisp. Um, and it's just pure nostalgic fun. Uh, let's see. Anything else that you're watching, Gary, while we kind of get close to wrapping up here? Uh, no, not at the moment, sir. Okay. Um, how about reading? Have you been uh, up on any reading material of late? Yes, I'm, I'm reading a very esoteric uh, Star Trek book called uh, The Best of Trek. Um, it was a um, magazine that was put out in the late 90s. Um, it was, a, I believe, a monthly magazine, and then once a year they would grab articles out of it. And it's currently disc- – uh, it gets very much like almost like a uh, symposium of uh, Star Trek issues. Uh, for right, right now they're discussing the um, – how children are portrayed in the uh, original Star Trek universe, uh, meaning the original show, um, how um, uh, Kirk would either try to speak with them as if they were young adults, or he would immediately start to threaten <laughs> threaten okay. them or uh, you know, really come down heavy, heavy-handedly on them. There was no sort of intermediate middle ground. Um, they, go, they do stretch a little bit into the movies to talk about his relationship with his son. Um, you know, they talk about um, McCoy's... Uh, relationship with his father and it just it touches on a lot of uh you know this whole children interacting and basically you know they they draw analogies to what was going on with the 60s that you have these children that are you know speaking up and doing stuff that the adults don't like and how the the adults are reacting to them and it was a whole sub level that i never really gave thought to but um you know you sort of see it open-handed in you know things like this way to eden and episodes like that where they're actually adults being you know hippies or you know social changers if you prefer but um to, to see children to think of a child in that way uh, in the show and how they're represented uh was a very interesting take on it i went back and watched an episode or at least segments of them to see what they were talking about, and uh, it was hitting hitting a lot of truth, honestly. So, uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was a, like I said, it, it it can be a little bit dry and academic, but um, you know, it's a sort of you know a nice. It's almost like going to a sort of a as I said, a symposium on Star Trek. Each one of these books, you know, covers different aspects along those lines, and you know, while that's sort of a bit psychological, you know, they'll also talk about uh, you know, uh, what was it? Why the uh, space panel? Why the panels always explode on the bridge? You know, they'll come up with they'll, ah, okay. go, they'll go out up, uh, you know, out on a limb to sort of discuss things like that and why you know plasma running through something might be explosive or but they need it because of the how fast information has to be sent back and forth. It's you know, it, it's it's a bunch of very geeky uh, little mini papers, if you will. So it's uh, it's if if you're inclined to go that deep down the rabbit hole, it's. Um, I found 16 in a bookstore a few weeks ago, but they, they're, they're, you know, I, I, that's the latest I went. So, so there's 15 other ones that cover much of the same topic um, around. It's been around for so long. I'm trying to think it wasn't until around, I think book 11, that next generation premiere. <laughs> so, um, okay. so you do start to get a, uh, around, around by around, yeah, I'd say around 13 or 14, you start to actually, they're, they're trying to start including, um, you know, a little, some next generation references in every once in a while. Like there, you know, there was a whole, there's a whole article in the book comparing, um, data to Spock and why, how he's not Spock or shouldn't be Spock because it's so early on. I don't think the book was written past season two of uh, next gen. So it's, um, yeah, like I said, it's a lot of interesting geek discussion, you know, presented. So. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. And the books are usually cheap. They're all old and used. And <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's all you can pick. You can pick them up cheap. Yeah. Picking things up cheap is always fun. 
All right, so um, the last thing I'll bring up then, Star Trek related, in fact, is um, I finished reading the third of the um, Star Trek Discovery novels called Fear Itself, which um, is... Uh, I literally just read it, and I can't remember the name of the character that it is. Saru? Yes, Saru, yeah. There you go. Um, is uh, It basically highlights him, gets more into his psychology, and it it's a relatively short book. It's a little less than 300 pages. Okay. But it's actually a pretty good read. It's a pretty quick read. And I think that it does a nice job of kind of uh, further fleshing out the backstory of a couple of the characters. Um, you get a little bit of insight into uh, Captain Giorgio. You get a, a little bit more about the conflict of philosophies between Saru and uh, Michael Burnham. And it just, it just is a nice little tale. It's uh, worth the read, I think. I don't think it's quite as good as the previous one, which I think was Drastic Measures. Uh, yes. Yes, which was the, the um, Lorca novel. But I do feel like it is a nice little way to kind of keep the interest up in the Discovery universe as we await news of when Season 2 will be coming along. So um, I don't know that it really like adds much in terms of uh, how this fits into the overall um, Prime Universe continuity, but uh, as a standalone story, it actually does goes a long way towards giving you some insight into that character, which I think is actually a pretty good uh, use of the novel, to be perfectly honest. Um, and the nice thing is, is that it is written in conjunction with the writers for the show, so it is um, pretty closely tied to what we already know about the characters. Okay. Yeah. So well, that's good. I enjoyed. The, I enjoyed the other, the first two. So. Yeah. This one. Yeah. I think is worth as much of a read as the other two. All right. Well, that is it for me, uh, Gary. Any last thoughts for this particular episode? Um. No, I um even you know even with bombs like Solo and stuff and um I don't know if we discussed uh, Jurassic World at all but um, I I did see that as well I'm, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the movies a lot of them it's a lot of popcorn this year I don't feel there's any real crazy you know life changing or severe message uh, being sent but um but I've been it's been a you know been a been a fun summer to uh, you know to watch watch movies I uh, think about you know some of the seasons like in the 80s and 90s where there was that summer where there's another movie after one right after the other that are actually enjoyable to watch and just fun to go out and hang out with friends and that's what what i feel this um so far this uh movie season has been yeah i guess that um i haven't seen jurassic world uh, fallen kingdom yet so we can maybe defer that for another day but uh, sure. i think you're right there have been a lot of good popcorn movies this year but i think that a lot of the big movies for a lot of the, the fans were actually in the spring I think the summer is kind of, especially once you get to July 4th, um, things kind of peter off from here. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, we're now in the lull until, I guess, until around the Thanksgiving season. Exactly. All right, well, thanks to all for listening, and, well, until next time. And so ends another epic episode of The Critical Myth. If you want to leave a comment for this show, head over to vognetwork.com. Not only can you find links to the podcast version of each show, but there is a dedicated forum, a ton of written reviews and related articles by the crew throughout the site. For the written reviews, you can even leave your own review. So let us know if you agree or not. You can also leave comments on our Facebook page, Critical Myth, on Twitter at Critical Myth, or Google Plus under The Critical Myth Show. Any and all use of copyrighted material is only intended for discussion, commentary, 
parody, or educational purposes, in accordance with U.S. Code Title 17, also known as fair use. In other words, please don't sue us. And of course, the statements and opinions of the Critical Myth crew are not necessarily those of the VOG network, its partners, or affiliates. But let's face it, we're probably right anyway. Until next time. Watch, watch, read, read, and listen, and listen, and believe, and believe in the critical, in the critical myth.